making coffee. That's all right. Welcome here. <laughs> I think this is that's from teaching too many years at uh, Karis, a grace teacher, <laughs> becomes a pastor and everybody can do what they want. Kind of. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I had a, I had a situation on, on Facebook. I posted something that's better. It's better to have a church filled with noisy children than an empty church of no children. And what actually happened is there some people started to argue a little bit, and then finally Facebook took that simple little post off. And all the other stuff went through. That's what I was shocked about, all the political stuff. Anyhow, we're going to be talking about the rapture today, and, uh, and I'll give you some notes on, on the tribulation. We actually did get those all worked out. Uh, so we're nice and good on that. So you'll have notes on the message that I attempted to teach last week that was just in all these little pieces, and I, I apologize for handing out that little note that was terrible so you could follow it. So anyhow, so, say what? Uh, I'm trying to figure it out right now. I'll put those in the back in a minute, but we can pass out uh, if we want. Oh, Linda, there's Linda, good. Okay. Okay, there you go. You might need some more, I think. Great, thank you. I will be quiet. Yeah, this is the one that I wrote all over and added to it. So last week we did talk about end times, the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, I meant to go through uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 and into 39, but I didn't get very far with the uh, little bit of notes that I, I mean, I had all the information that you'll get on here, but I'll do that another time. So I said I'd be going to go over the rapture today. And if you open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2.19, we'll begin in there, and look at it. The rapture is something that can probably take two or three weeks, but I'm not going to try and do that. But I'm sure going to try and lay a groundwork about uh, what God is doing. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, it says, um, uh, 2.19, we can pick this up uh, in verse 17. It says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica. He was bringing forth his desire to reach the people of God. Um, Wherefore, we would have come into you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And I always thought that was really strange, that Satan hindered them, the powerful men of God. So you and I can actually get hindered sometimes. And so that should come as a real blessing to you to understand that it isn't because you don't have faith. God's working here. And then it goes on to say, um, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? 
are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our joy and our glory. When we look at that, we begin to see that Paul brings out a very interesting point. All through the Paul's writing. Now, Paul is the only one in the Gospels that specifically dealt with the rapture. It's like he had the, ra- the concept of the rapture and what God was doing. But he was the one that God was using to really bring it forth. That's why Peter said he's a hard guy to follow. You know, because he just said, I just don't quite understand what Paul's teaching because all Peter had was the gospel of grace. So Peter taught the gospel of grace, and then Paul came in, and his primary point was the rapture, the, the, the Christ living in us in a, in a powerful way. And of course, after Acts chapter 2, that we had the Holy Spirit in us, and powerful revelations that he had. Um, they, the people of that time were actually looking forward to uh, the coming of Jesus. They had, their time clock was just like ours. Anytime, place, anywhere, if we're looking for him, he's going to be there. So all through the generations, they, they've kind of come down through the years of people earnestly looking for Jesus, whether it be the rapture or going on to be with God at the end of our lives here. So they were expecting the coming of the Lord. They also expected the judgment of God in an event called the Day of the Lord. In Revelation, the, God has his day of the Lord, and that's when he comes in at, towards the, at the end of, uh, of, of Revelation, and he has this battle, the, the battle of Armageddon, where he destroys all the enemies of God. He comes in and comes in, and God, it says, if you go back and study it, God is the one that says, it's like, okay, this is my day, and destroyed all the people that were fighting against him and all the unbelievers at that particular time. Um, They were living in the expectation that this could happen in their lifetime. When we begin to look at that, we begin to try to grasp what is it that this is all about? What does happen at the end of our lifetime? And the end of our lifetime, we all have to come to that place where the Lord Jesus becomes our new brother in a mighty way, and we go on to be with the Lord and live, e- live for eternity then. When you're born again, it's eternal, the Spirit of God within you, and you'll live. Um, what happens to Christians that, who die uh, before he comes? This has been a mystery up to this point, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. First Corinthians six, fourteen, and we will. I'm there. Yeah, pick it up. Right there, and God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us at His own by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? Talking about sinning and going out and joining themselves with other people. God forbid. What know ye not that that which he is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit meaning that we are now joined together with him. He's Lord of all, uh, and we're his children. 
and that God raised up the Lord, he'll also raise up, up in his own power. That when we die, what happens, and I, I've been teaching this a whole lot, but I, I hesitate to go it again. But when we're born of the Spirit, when we die, the Spirit within us takes us to be with the Lord. And when we begin to grasp that, he takes our soul, not our bodies. Our bodies are put into a grave. Our body is the very thing that was, uh, is basically desecrated when we live sinful lives. So you, your body goes into the grave. Now, if you're going to hell, all hell talks about is the pain that the body feels. The body of an unbeliever goes to hell because the Spirit of God is not within them to take them to heaven. But when we go to heaven, we'll talk about that in a minute, we're going to see that it's this great place. But when we, he comes back again, what's going to happen is he's going to give us new bodies because the new bodies will fit well with our new born-again experience and knowing God in the way we do. And so when we begin to grasp at it, it's just like God just starts moving in our lives and showing us uh, how honest, I mean, how honest, how great he can be. And he does it by his own power. So it isn't us trying to get there. He does it by his own power. And in 1 Corinthians 4, let's go to verse 9. Okay. 1 Corinthians 4 and 9. Okay, got it. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to the angels and to men. Paul's pretty straightforward. So he's really saying, God must think we're the last people. We're just, we're foolish, we're, we're crazy, we're fools for Christ's sakes. Everybody's laughing at us. Even the end angels don't understand all this. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but we are strong. We are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless, being persecuted. We suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made of the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all the things of this day. So he is saying, you know, it's... What's going on is, is, is not a good thing. We are called to love one another. And we can pick that up in verse 10. 410. Was that 410? It was 410. Did I get that? Yeah, I did. For we are fools for Christ's sake. Meaning that when natural people see how we, respect, how we act when we are become Christians, did you ever become a Christian in a powerful way and everybody thought you were strange? Remember that? Remember, he says, he says you're, you're, you're strange. People mock you. People don't believe what's going on in your life. People don't have any concept. And you start moving forward, telling about the love of God. Nobody wants to talk to you about God. You, your life has changed because you move out of darkness. And now the light of God is coming forth through you. And what people detest more than anything is the light of the love of God that comes through our lives towards them. They don't understand it. All they want to do is live in sin and do whatever they want. They, they said, sir, we continue, continue to sin, that God's grace can, can, can come forth out of all this. And Paul said, God forbid. 
So when we begin to change, we change our friendships, don't we? We change those people that have been our friends. We've hung out. We've done what they did. But now, all of a sudden, there's something different. And that's the light of God, and that's the Spirit of God that begins to protrude into their darkness in their heart, and they don't want anything to do with us. And so the other problem that we can have, too, is if we get born again and we continue in sin, hanging out with the same group, we have to change that group because they'll overcome us and drag us right back into the old places. I think a lot of us have been born again, and, and we have born again in places maybe that none of, none of our friends were, or all of a sudden we're moving someplace. It's like God takes us out of that development or that group and puts us over here with a new group. Or we evangelize those guys and gals that we know. And so there's a big change that happens when you get born again. And that's what Paul is bringing out. Now, he, as an apostle, what had happened to him is, I mean, he became this man that was in charge of all the Christians as, as far as persecuting all of them, uh, killing them. I mean, horrific, sending them to Rome to be martyred by the animals. And he, he lived that life of power and influence and a life where people were afraid of him. And now he's this guy that gets thrown in jail. He's telling about Jesus. He's telling about love. He's telling about this, that, and the other thing. And they're, they're mad at him. They're, they're, you know, he was stoned. He's thrown, thrown off boats. He was beaten, left for dead. He was imprisoned. And he said, man, this, is, this, this deal is really not working out quite the way I thought it would. I thought I had the power of God and all this was going to go through me. Man, this is a mess. Here's what we're going through. We're persecuted every place we go. But the Spirit of God continued to lead him and guide him. The Spirit of God continued to use him in the faces of adversity. And going into these areas where he was always being mocked and sometimes had, had, to, had to leave a building in a basket because people were coming after him. Uh, it's just like the craziest stuff this guy went through. But when you get born again and God's using you, you get a call on your life that nobody understands. It's, nobody can quite figure it out. How can you do that? How can you just turn your life around and go this direction? Because God turns us around and moves us in directions we probably wouldn't nor normally go. And when doing that, he's taking to a place that he has to call there. And that place is a place where God wants to use us in the purpose that he has us. And then he can take us into the world and into the places that he does have us. Or into our own working place of where we work and the people that we do deal with. Um, and then uh, in Romans chapter 11, let's look at that. Verse 25. Good. And this is God's covenant with Israel. We can find it. Uh, verse 25 is fine. And I go to 27. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The fullness of the Gentiles really is at that point well, I think that God, it tells us that when we go out and minister and preach the gospel to all the world, when all the world hears it, then Jesus will come. There's somebody in this world that's hindering that that hasn't heard it yet. Kind of frustrating. Call all your friends. Maybe it's one of those. <laughs> but anyhow, you, we reach out to these people and let them know about the love of God. And, and so 
all is Israel shall be saved. Now, God's got a covenant with Israel, and they, it says right there, they're all, they'll all be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Lion in a deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. So God's waiting. God has carried the sins through Jesus, but God's got a covenant with them. And that's why when you look at Israel, that God is still working with them. They all were brought back. It was prophesied that they would come back into that one place. And it all began to happen in, in 1948 when Israel took over Palestine and became a country. And it was nothing but a, a, just a mess. Trees, I mean, it was just dirt, sand, this stuff. And, and Israel came in, and God blessed them, and they've been a powerful country every time, ever since. And there's still people coming back, but I believe even more people are going to come back at the first part of the tribulation period uh, because of what the Antichrist is going to be. He'll be in the last half. But what, what Russia will do when they come down into there. So Israel has been protected by God since 1948. Nobody's come and gone. He's, he's protected them. And in that period of time, they've had great wars when Syria and Egypt and, and the other countries around there came against them. That little country defended all, all, those, all the enemy that came against him. And I've, I've heard many stories and read the history of it, but this one group uh, was just a, a ragtag bunch of Israelis walking through the desert and I think I said this about three weeks ago, but they're walking through the desert. They're, they're, they had their military outfits on, their weapons, and all of a sudden, here's like a, like a, a column of, of the enemy come down out of the mountain with their hands up and surrender to them because they saw uh, the, a flow of angels behind them. And they, they did that. And God supernaturally, if you read the history of that war, supernaturally did so many things to just... Uh, keep them from winning anything. And God has protected them this entire time. That's why every, everybody that's an Arab wants to get Israel. They want to come in and cut it up and make it this and kick them out and get rid of them all. I was reading this morning. I told Vinny, I, just, I ask questions when I'm preparing kind of the end of stuff. And I was just thinking about that. How many countries in the world uh, are, it's illegal to be a Christian? How many countries? And there was over 50 of them that Christians are martyred, put in jail. Bibles are taken away from. Christian faith cannot be exercised. Over 50 countries. That, that's gonna, and I've been in most of them. And that was the sad part. I thought, praise God, I made it out, you know. Uh, but they, they were like, uh, I think I got it on here. This was that. Um, here I go again. Tons of notes. But anyhow, they were, they were just, they were like, of course, Russia, China, North Korea, Syria, all the, Afghanistan, all that. Anything that ended in Stan was an anti-God country. And Nicaragua, um, Guatemala, um, Cuba, Haiti's not so bad. But there's all these countries that you'll be in prison for being a Christian. And so, like, when we went into Cuba, I was smuggling Christian materials in. I mean, they could have put me away for a while, but God's a great God of 
He loves me. <laughs> he got to you. He said, well, I'd had, and I've told the story where I've had the dog just come rolling right up. I, I was on a plane. I just landed in, uh, in, in uh, Havana, and they had all these little like, beagles, and they're running around, and this little beagle was going up and down, and I had a bunch of stuff in one of my suitcases because they hadn't uh, checked me before because I'd been out of there a number of times. And so that little beagle came. He, he walked up to mine. He stood there for a second and started to squat, and his, his, his uh, master yelled at the, bird, the, the, the uh, dog, something, I don't remember the name, get over here. And they went to lunch. I mean, that's the kind of protection you get when you're doing stuff like that. It's absolutely crazy what's going on. And Penny and I were in, in Guatemala when, in, at, at night when it was, you weren't supposed to be out because they were killing pastors and Christians. And we had just done a, I guess it's a revival. We, we went to some small area over there and we did a, a, a movie about Jesus. We'd go into like the villages and show the movies of Jesus. These people didn't have TVs, radios, nothing. And they barely had a, homes to live in. But what would happen, we would put up the tent, get up there, and, and start showing the movie. And it was, it was a small thing. And everybody in town decided to come to see a movie because they'd never seen a movie. And so they came, and they were going to hear about Jesus. And it's, it's two things kind of funny. But anyhow, so they came and hear about Jesus. And at the end, I was preaching and telling people about how to get born again and get saved. And so what I did was... I just, I, Penny, I, I closed my eyes, and I started praying that, that God would move in this place and touch people. And, I, and I, I had stepped down into kind of a level plane, and that God would move, and, and that God would touch these hearts. And then I opened up my eyes. I couldn't move. The whole place was packed with people on their knees praying and wanting to receive Christ. She's my witness. So <laughs> everybody knows she's honest. <laughs> Meet the question. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so it was, it was like that whole place was like that. But then on the way home, we had gone too long, and it got dark. And the, the, the uh, Sandinistas and the, 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 uh, the who? Contras. Uh, they were at war right there, and we were in a place where it was at war, and we were not supposed to be out that late. But anyhow, so we were coming back, and uh, so the guy we were with, he says, uh, you know, we just got to be careful because we can't get caught or stopped. And as we were going down the road, it was right ahead of us, if I think, when all of a sudden this, like, this, like squad of, of the Sandinistas or the Contras went walking across the highway, didn't even see us. And our, our, our little buses went right on down the road. They were throwing pastors off of bridges in these small towns. I mean, this, this is what goes on out there. And um, this, this is moving in that direction. If you have new leadership in a lot of, a, of, a, of these places, they'll come in and one of the first things they want to do is take away your Bible. Because your Bible represents to them the highest area of truth which usurps their authority. They want to get rid of them because they don't want the people to know about God. They want them to think they're God. And so they'll burn all your Bibles. They'll, I mean, it's really horrific. And um, so you got to be cautious in all of this. But these are the things that can happen. These things are already happening here in the world that we're living in. So when we start to look at this, 
we have to understand that God made a covenant with Israel, and that's why Israel is still safe today. If it wasn't for that covenant, I don't know. God's got a plan from the beginning of the earth, and we can come across a lot of it as we go through all of this tonight or today. And talks about the under 4a, the fullness of the Gentiles. That's going to be the end of the church age. And that is going to be like when Jesus comes back at, at, at uh, the, uh, the um, what part was that? All right, Jesus comes back. Oh, <laughs> and we're, we're raptured out of here. And that's the end of the church age, meaning all the grace and the mercy and the love that God had given us. That is out now at a point where um, we, the influence, who is keeping, the, keeping the, the devil away from doing a lot of stuff, are now taken out of the earth by God. And then we move into and we'll see the last half of the tribulation people uh, period. It will be just horrific. That's where the Antichrist comes in. Um, that's where uh, the whole world is just terrible. The only ones left, as I understand it, will be the 144,000 Jewish uh, virgin men, and they'll be proclaiming the gospel, but the Bible says that all the rest of them will be gone at the very end of everything. Uh, all redeemed, when, when Jesus comes back, will be removed. Uh, the event is then, the, the church age went from Pentecost up to the rapture. So the church age was, it went from the Jewish uh, leadership uh, the Jewish ways at the day of Pentecost, that's when the church age was born, when the 3,000 were spirit-filled, born again, began to worship God and speak in tongues. So that age is what we're continually in right now until the rapture. So the gospel has been preached, and the last elect person is saved, and that's when Jesus will come back, uh, and the church age church age will end. Because there's somebody out there somewhere that hadn't heard the message yet. All right. All redeemed will be removed. The event is the blessed hope. Now, what's interesting, when, he, when you study the book of Revelation, from verse chapter 1 through verse 4, it talks about the church age. When everybody is there in the church and all this, the letters to the churches that Paul wrote. And then from then on until Revelation 19, the church is not mentioned at all. No, no direction, purpose, or anything is brought forth for the church. So that's the time of suffering where the tribulation comes in. This horrific stuff is poured out upon all the unbelievers that are left on the earth. And as we begin to see this, it'll pick back up in chapter 19. So that's when God comes back, and he's, it's the day of the Lord, and all this devastation takes place. There's no more instruction to the church. Now go to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse 10. All right, we can pick it up at verse 10. And it says... He's talking to the church at Philadelphia. He says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that, that, hold that fast which you have, and uh, that no man can take your crown. So Jesus is saying he's coming back. 
there's going to be a time of testing for the earth. I think we can be in it now as we're in a period of time where the lust and the ravages of, 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 of all kinds of stuff is going on. People are rejecting God because they don't like the limitations that he has, trying to change our lives and bring us into a place of how to live an abundant life, living completely for ourselves, sacrificing our future for what we want now. So we've got, we're in that time. And, uh, and Revelation is laid out in a chronological order. When you begin with chapter 1 and you, you go through till the end, it's all chronological. Everything begins to happen, and people begins to grasp it and understand it, that this is going to happen. Now, in John chapter 14, we'll look at this again. We'll look at the, uh, what Jesus had promised, John 14. So after you die, Jesus has got a plan for us as Christians. And that plan is called heaven initially until it's all moved here to the earth. John chapter 14. And it says, verse 1, he says, he's talking about what happens when you die, those that are already dead. Uh, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house has many, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for what? Now, when Jesus talks about what's going on in the, these end times, he says he's actually going to heaven to begin to build our mansions, which is interesting because I think just being in heaven would be enough reward. But there's a place that he's going. He's got a purpose, and he's, he must be a contractor of some sort. I hope regional approves him. But anyhow, I know that he would probably, I don't know how he's going to build them, but it's going to be interesting. And he says, uh, where I go, you know, and the, and the way you know. So when Jesus goes on to verse 5, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going or how, how can we know the way? Isn't that funny? He walked with him three and a half years. He's like a lot of us as church people. I don't know you. I, I, don't, I don't know where you're going. You know, you start, that's why they're calling him the doubting Thomas. He's been there with Jesus. He hadn't paid any attention. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what's happening. He, and Jesus said, if you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him, meaning that he himself was an example of the father. And as we go, let's go a little bit further here. And we go into 1 Thessalonians. Where is he? I'm taking you to heaven until after the tribulation. So we go to, go to, we go to heaven. And so when I thought about what happens, so we go to heaven, and we have the, we have the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a big where everybody comes and they all eat. And, and then what happens is there is judgment, a judgment seat up there of Christ. But what was really interesting as I was studying all this stuff, in the judgment seat of Christ, there's no judgment. It's like nobody gets judged. In the rapture, God doesn't go around, no, drop that guy. Or, you know, drop those two over there. We don't want them up here. No, 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 you can't come up. I, I, I saw what happened the other night. He didn't do that. Everybody that had the Spirit of God and who believed in him went to heaven. That's, that, that blows my mind when you think about it. 
there was no punishment, no condemnation, no judgment. And what, what's used, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Now, we know that when we look at the rapture, there's a lot of people take it a lot of different ways, but when you look at it, it's actually prior to tribulation, meaning that we could be right in that period right now where things are going to begin to happen. And what we also know is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says that God has not appointed us to wrath. So the key word on all of that is wrath, and when we talk the day of the Lord and we talk tribulation, that's wrath. And so it says God has not appointed us to that. And if you go through the Bible and you see all through it that whenever there was, you know, there, Noah uh, had came in and, and the, the world had gone to a place where there was no revelation of God, no revelation or righteousness, a, a, follow, a group of following him, that he was the only man righteous. Lot was the only man righteous when he took him and his wife out of so Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find as we follow that, then any time uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fiery furnace, they go, they go through part of it, but they're not hurt. But on the other hand, uh, when, when they go through it, that God didn't save them before they went in. He took them out in the middle. Now, some people use that for the rapture. I, the rapture is looked at three ways. There's pre-trib, which I lean towards that. Mid-trib, which I also can lean a little bit towards that. Pan trip at the very end, I don't, I don't see that at all. So what I see is that God's going to work through this and that before all of this turmoil starts, we, the church, will be taken out. And I'll show you in a minute why, why we have to be taken out. And so we're, we're at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Is that what I was at? John 4, 1. That's where I'm. 14. There it is. All right. Verse 1, let not your heart be, I'm starting to feel like our president, and let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. As it were not so, I would have told you if there wasn't going to be any. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may you be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know, and of course, then Thomas comes in. And Jesus said in verse 8, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, meaning the reality, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Only by one name under heaven can we get to the Father. Can we get into kingdom? Can we move towards heaven? And that's the name of Jesus Christ. No other name is going to get you there. No other work, no other denomination is going to get you there. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that's the one name. And then with the grace of God comes into our life, and we begin to walk that out. And when we read all the rules of what not to do and in the Old Testament and all that stuff, we're not under the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. And the difference is the Old Testament did not have the grace of God. The New Testament does have the grace of God. And so when we see that, so when this whole rapture takes place, what it takes is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you shall be saved. And when we look at that, we can begin to see that God's heaven is entirely built upon the concept that his son Jesus came and died for all the sins of the world, and that when we are born again, his spirit comes into us, and when we die, 
the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus will raise us also into heaven. And so again, you must be born again. We go a little bit further. Uh, in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from henceforth, uh, you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? And so then his next realm was, believe me. And I think that's a lot of times where we in the world have a trouble, is coming to that place where we're ready to believe God. All right, let's go a little bit further. Um, that's the first way to do that, Rapture. First Thessalonians 4. All right, I think, were we going to First Thessalonians 4? I, I did this stupid thing with my notes again. I got them going everywhere. All right, so when it talks about that when Jesus comes, we're going to be caught up in, in verse 4, 17. The verb caught up, harposa, or a raptoral, uh, harposo, it means to snatch up, to seize, and carry by force. The term rapture is simply a word describing the snatching away, and that is exactly what verse 17 is saying. When Christ comes back to earth, this is not that event when he comes and his feet touch the mount of the earth. A lot of people, this is, they think it's Armageddon, this is the, the, the end times. This isn't. Because there's two times when Jesus is dealing here. One is the rapture, when he comes back, he's in the air, and we are caught up to be with him. We're just, God just pulls us right up to be with him. And then there's the other one, when he comes and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. And that's, that, that, that's the other time. That's Revelation chapter 20. And we begin to see the end of that. But I want to go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, because I think I might have went too fast through there. All right, we go into verse 13, verse 413, and we finish it. All right, the dead in Christ shall rise. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, if we go down to, let's just keep, for we, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And what we see is our bodies are left in the grave. Our spirit and soul go to be with God. 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, stop them uh, which are asleep. And so what happens is it's talking about those that are dead are already gone and that we which remain unto the coming shall not stop that. Now, here's what it says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So they go first. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and shall ever be with him. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So Jesus is coming back. 
It involves a shout, a voice, an archangel. I mean, it's going to be noisy. He's not sneaking up on anybody, all right? So these things are going to begin to happen. And when they do, this whole cycle of what God's doing, that, that's got Jesus taking us out of the world. The world is still there. It's not the end of the world. And there's a war that's getting ready to begin. Uh, we know that this is not Christ coming to the earth because it clearly says he comes and he meets him in the air. We know this is not judgment because there's no judgment whatsoever. First of all, the rapture is based on the death of Christ in verse 14. It is his death that fulfills all. The believers believe that death is sleep. He died our death. In 1 Corinthians 15, let's go to that. I like that one. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. What's really interesting, if you would, if you would want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 1 through uh, 11, that, that is Paul sharing the, the gospel of Christ, which is it's kind of interesting to go back and look at it. But today we're going to go to 51, okay, and we'll actually pick it, pick it up in 45. And it says, um, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. So when God created Adam and Eve, they were, they, they were soul-powered. They lived by their five senses, see, feel, taste, touch, hear. And when we now, the second Adam, has come to put his spirit within us to where our bodies no longer live by how they feel, the five senses. They're to be led of the Spirit of God. So we're not to try to figure everything out in the natural. We're to bring ourselves to a place where we walk in the Spirit. And it's by the Spirit that we begin to understand and live for God and be led of God. Um, Howbeit that which not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. In our world after the fall, the spiritual is no longer like Adam. It is now we're born of the flesh. All right, and uh, that which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterwards, when we're born again, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. As is the heavenly, such are they also which are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earth, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption, uh, doth, uh, neither doth corruption inherit in corruption. So when we look at this, he's bringing out the fact, again, you must be born again. Jesus died for all of our sins. We must be born again. And it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. When we were brought into that place of being born again, we actually moved into that place where our walk with the Lord is now real, that our, that our life, we're spiritually, we're born spiritually of the Lord. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's go to that. And I'll finish the rest of this next week, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll pick it up. Um, this is our, the mystery of iniquity. 
All right, talking about a rapture. Now we beseech you, brethren, verse 1, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, they were all gathered in their lives looking for Jesus coming, the second coming. Uh, uh, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of the Lord is at hand. So there was a controversy going on in Thessalonica that some had already left, Jesus had already come, and they were left. And so he said, don't go by that stuff, all right? He says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, when we look at that, what's really we're looking at that, that word falling away, and as I worked on that, what I really saw is that the Greek word in there really has four meanings, has four different things. The one thing we have to realize is this isn't a, a, um, a translation of it. This is just the thought process of, of it. And so uh, we can look at this, and when we begin, the word actually can go for defection, departure, uh, revolt, rebellion, falling away. Now, what's early interesting is that the, all the early writers that started the Bible that uh, were involved with it, John Trindale, Miles Coverdale, they did not use the word falling away, but they used the word departure. And when you think about that, the, the falling away could be those that are falling away from the world or something like that. But a departure means to me that there's going to be a great departure and that great departure will actually be the rapture when Jesus comes and brings the church with him. And when we look at that, again, we begin to see other things that are going on. Uh, what happens when Jesus comes? Well, what happens? He comes into the earth and he draws away those that are born again. Have to be born again to be a part of this. You can't just go to church you know, again and again. It is end times. I think there's a lot of people that are watching that need to know that you must be born again. It's really imperative because you got to have the Spirit of God in your life. Because if you don't, no matter what you think is not going to work because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. We must be born again. And that also, it talks about that there's a restrainer in these last days. Uh, let's look at two and go all the way down to eight. And then it goes on to say, the falling away. And then in verse 4, it says, uh, uh, who, who opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God. This is the Antichrist, or that's worship, so that he as God sitteth on the temple of God, uh, showing himself that he is God. And this will be the Antichrist in, in the second half of the uh, tribulation will go into the temple. The, the temple will be built in the first half. And then the second half of the tribulation, he goes in, proclaims himself God, and then basically it just gets really ugly. Um, remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know that what that was withholdeth that he might be uh, revealed in this time. And for the mysteries of iniquity doth already work, only he who now litteth will lit until he's taken away, taken away. All right, now what's really interesting 
is I, this, this light's got to go. I got a great shining Bible here. So what's interesting, oh, there it is, praise God, there is readable. All right, it says in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away, a departure first, and that their man of sin will be revealed. Now, they always look at that, and they try to figure, who is that talking about? Well, it's talking about the, the, the Antichrist. But then it goes, also comes down to verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now litteth will lit until he be taken out of the way. And so what is it saying there? It's saying, it's saying there that this is going to continue until he, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets it will let it. So once the church is taken out of the earth in the rapture, that's when the, the uh, measure of the mystery of iniquity will be revealed and the Antichrist will then become having power because he will have power and the church will be gone and he'll be free to do whatever he so desires. And in closing, let's go to Matthew 24, 14. And I'll finish the rest of this uh, next week. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14... It's a lot of red words there. All right. And this is where it comes up and it brings, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto the nations, and then shall what? The ends come. Now, when, when the very end time comes, we find that's when uh, Russia will come down and have success at coming, or it will come down and will come in to take over Israel, and that's when all the nations of the world will be gathered together, and that's when it says God himself will destroy them all. And so then we see that uh, the 50 countries will be that part, which will be part of all of that that's going on in the earth, and he'll be able to destroy all the enemies of Egypt or Israel, and they'll be able to live forever. And then God's got another plan after that, and we'll look at that next, uh, next week. All right, if you're still awake, you know, if you're not, punch somebody, and you can go now. Okay, and we have communion today. Uh, what we'll also do is we'll hand out these. I'll have these set back on a table back there. These are all the notes from last week, which will bring clarity to it. Okay, and who's doing communion? Arcelli, good. I'll put these back. I'll put some over here on this seat. Some over here. Got a green light. Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Okay. So I, today I get the privilege to receive communion with you guys. So um, let's read Psalm 103, 1 to 5.
It's one of my favorite songs. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. So this psalm is actually a psalm of redemption. This is the psalm of redemption. Redemption is what Jesus did to redeem us from sickness, poverty, and spiritual death. The author of redemption, that means the one who came up with redemption, is God the Father. It came from his heart, came from his mind. The one who executed redemption is Jesus Christ. He's the executor. And the one who continues to rebuild redemption to us is the Holy Spirit. So today uh, we have so many medications. Uh, I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for 20 plus years. We have so many medications in uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, we know that most of the medications are made from plants. Um, and of course, you know, they put chemicals in it. And you not, guys know that with uh, medications, they will do the job they're supposed to do, like treat the symptoms or whatever. But there's a lot of side effects of medications. And sometimes some of these medications, you have to take another type of medications to help you with the symptoms. Um, and, then, and then you see like the side effects of the adverse reactions of it or whatever. It can harm your liver, it can harm your kidneys, it can harm your stomach, you know, and all those things. Um, but here's my, my questions to you. You know, those, the plants and everything that mankind does, that's, that's, uh, the creation of God. And so my question is always is, why are we, and then we talk about also, sorry, let me just go to this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We talk about also eating good food, you know, healthy, organic food, and that's great. I'm all for that, you know, because I like to grow my own food. You guys know I love to garden. I love to grow my own food. I love to eat organic stuff. Um, I'm even growing my own mushrooms. Not the ones that you guys think, okay? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, um, you know, those are all great, and I have nothing against those. Um, but my, my question is always is, um, the answer is not found in the creation. It's found in redemption. So, therefore, our fate should be on the creator, not on what he created. So, because if you look at this, uh, the whole thing that how the world is created, it was to benefit us. But our faith should never be on what was created here. It should be on the one who redeemed us from sickness, diseases, uh, spiritual death, and curse. And so, um, so my, um, and then in Proverbs 4, uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to go there, but Proverbs 4, 22 
uh, I think it's 20 and 22, it says that you are to keep the words in the midst of your heart, uh, keep them in attendance and hear, hearing it, and then you are to keep them in the midst of your heart and because they are healing to all your flesh, right? You guys know that scripture? You guys, a lot of uh, Bible students here. Um, and so my question is, um, because you have medicine that's like given to you, oh, this is for your stomach, this is for your pain, this is for your heart. Well, the, the Bible says that it's, uh, the word of God is healing to all our flesh. It's not picked and knit to what it's going to be healing you. It's going to heal you when you take it. So Jesus uh, talked about him being the, the bread of life. So let's look at John 6. This is where our scripture for communion is going to be. Let's look at John 6. And let's look at verse... 51. Jesus says, I am the bread, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So this, uh, this word that says eat in uh, Greek in this context is actually say uh, it's phago. It's, it, it means like it's either a spiritual life that comes from God or wholeness that comes from God. So, but let's go to John 6, verse 55 and 56, uh, 54 to 56. It says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So the, uh, the word here where it says eat, whoever eats in 56, is actually, um, the Greek is, uh, is uh, trego. It means to make a crunching noise. It's talking about communion. So to me, I see it as a nurse. You know, when you take some type of natural medicine, you can actually overdose and have side effects. This is a spiritual medication that we take. That you take it, it doesn't have to be in this building. You can take it at home with your, with your family. You can take it by yourself when you're at, at work or when you're going somewhere. So to me, I look at it like you can overdose in this. The benefit of it is that you'll just have supernatural divine healing and health. You overdose in the natural things, you're going to go see Jesus sooner than you thought, right? So... So to me, it's just like as believers, I'm just encouraging you that communion is a way that will keep you have divine health and divine healing in this last days and that will protect you from things that's going on in, around the world because it will keep you focused on the high priest, which is Jesus that's forever seated on the right hand of God, praying for you and reminding you that you are sons and daughters, that, that you belong to him. So his life is in his bread, and it's in the body, and his life is also in the blood. And also, one more thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Remember, in the Old Testament, they call it Passover. So that means death was going to pass over you. You see, in the Old Testament, God was with them and for them. And then Jesus did the, the Last Supper, and he was act, actually acting like a, a type and shadow of, of our high priest. He was showing them 
the Passover, the Last Supper. So when the book of Acts came, we called it communion because in the book of Acts, it's the new era, the church era. God is not only for you. He's not only with you. He's in you. You're in communion, intimate with him when you receive communion. So let's take communion. Father God, we thank you so much. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Communion is all about you. We come to you based on what you've done. And it's not our, our sicknesses and all that. We put you above our sicknesses and our symptoms and anything that tries to come against our body. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we know the word of God says that your body was broken so that we can receive healing. And by your stripes, we were healed. The word stripes in the, in the Hebrew means that once that stripe was put on you uh, and we accept you, we are in covenant with you, that healing belongs to us. So thank you, Lord Jesus. We discern your body so that we are not weak and we don't leave the, uh, earlier in the time you want us to leave. We discern your body, that your body was broken for us, so we can have physical healing from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. And as we eat this, we crunch this, we trogo this, we release the life of Christ into our physical bodies. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's break and eat. Let's take the, the, the juice. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Your blood that gave us the right to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You said in your word that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Lord, we thank you for that. That we will keep our eyes on the table, not on the enemies, but on the table. And you said in your words that you anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows. Thank you, Lord, that that cup, your blood overflowed to us. You gladly laid down your life so that we can receive your life in return. And we can become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Not orphans eating crumbs under the table, but seated on the table with the Father as the Holy Spirit reveals to us what belongs to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your blood also that made us to be co-heir with Christ. That means all the blessing of Jesus Christ came to us because he's the firstborn and we're in him. So we, we get his blessings. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that also your blood gave us our, our provisions and everything that we will ever need in this world. Whatever things you had planned for us, Lord, it is by grace through faith that we receive it because of your blood or what your word said. Thank you that everything is met with our home, ministry, business, um, entrepreneurship that you had given us, ideas that you're doing in these last days, that you're raising up entrepreneurship in this body of Christ so that we are not the mercy of unbelievers. We are with you and you are for us and you're in us. We thank you also that this blood protects our families 
in our home, and anything that has our name on it, it has your name on it. It is signed by your blood. So we thank you for your blood, Jesus Christ. We love you, and we take communion to, re- to proclaim of your death and also to proclaim that you're coming back for your church, your spotless, glorious, anointed, powerful church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father. God bless you all. Jesus is in this room.